Hey, Mike Wise. I think that's good. All right. Well, it's going to be really, really good. Amen. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just thank him, all right, so that this becomes really what he wants me to say. Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I ask your blessing, Lord God, upon our time. And I totally trust and believe in you to just move through our lives and move through me, manifest your presence in such a wonderful, tangible way in this room, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm going to start by making some broad statements first, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Amen. In fact, you can turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11 to start there. That'll be fine. Hebrews 11. You can pull that up in whatever translation you want, whether it's New King James or do you have that or just ESV? Is that what you have? You have a few? Yeah, any one of them is good. Okay. There we go. In fact, why don't you go a little further down, to, let's see, maybe around verse 4 or 5. And okay, that sounds real good. So some of the statements that I'm going to make is it's very interesting um, to hear people's testimonies over the years. Uh, the more that I've been emphasizing people having, and I'm emphasizing it for the purpose of myself as well, having a greater relationship with God, a more tangible relationship with God, okay? Um, this just goes without saying, but any earthly relationship that you have grows not only by the time that you spend with each other, but the tangibility that you have with each other. Amen. In fact, you could say it like this, and this is what I call the word connection, having a connection. I think it, it entails three things, time, tangibility, shared experiences. I don't want you to get lost in that, but just for a second, think about it. If I have a real connection with somebody, if, I, if I'm to make a connection with my, with my wife, a connection with my kids, it's time, tangibility, and then I'm going to, out of those two things, I'm going to have a shared experience. Testimony. So a real good question would be, and this would be a hard one, so don't, don't lose your joy over this, okay? But this will be a hard one, is how long can you share testimonies of you and God before you have to use Scripture because you don't have any more to share? Okay, that's, that's a hard one. Like I say, don't lose your joy over that. But could we go five minutes? Could we go ten minutes? I remember hearing Brother Hagin, and this always used to, used to make an impact on me, he would say, and he'd be talking about something, and he'd say, you know, just in this one subject alone, he said, I could talk all night long until the sun came up in the morning and wouldn't exhaust all the stories that I have in just this one area. Wow. Praise him. So what does, that, what does that speak of? Well, it speaks of time, tangibility, and then shared experiences. Mm -hmm. see, see, his faith wasn't just in the Word. Mm -hmm. His faith was in God. Amen. Um, without getting into too much detail again. I just want to present a broad thought to you. Um, even Abraham, I'll share this. One time I was on my Bible program and I was putting in the word fasting. Mm -hmm. And if you do your fingers, I remember Aaron years ago, we'd be in meetings with Brother Hagen and she says, she would say everything, she's typing in her head every single thing he's saying. I don't, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but what's that? Only Pastor Hagen. Oh. Pastor Hagen in church. While she was in church with Pastor Hagen, she's typing everything he says. So your mind's going with your fingers. But if you can tell, F-A-S-T-I-N-G. 
and I, and I clicked send and what came up was believe. And I kind of scratched my head because I wasn't getting what happened. And I said, that's interesting because this is Bible soft program. I really like it. It's a good program. So I moved the little cursor up and clicked on X and it clicked out. And then I put in that F-A-S-T-I-N-G and it came up, believe. What is going on with my computer? So I clicked that off again. This time I did F-A-S-T-I-N-G, believe. And so by that time, I figured it out, and I said, Lord, you're messing with my computer. You obviously want me to read Believe and what this says. And it was in the vines, and it was like 1311, I think it is, pistis, it's called in the Greek, Believe. So I read it, and it was about the story and the, and the portion in vines that talked about Abraham questioning God about how shall I know that I will inherit this child? And it was over in Genesis chapter 15. And God said to him, go outside and look at the stars and see if you can number them. So shall your descendants be. And he went outside. Now that's a whole other sermon there, which is God gave him something that he was always really good at, at doing. He didn't say, you know, if you can, if you can add up, you know, the, the numbers in your geometry question and then come to the hypothesis of, and Abraham's like, well, slow down. I don't know geometry. What are you talking about? What's hypothesis? No, he actually gave him something that he was very, very used to doing. He was a moon worshiper, so he, he was used to the stars, okay? Which is awesome because God always wants to lead you in something that you're good at. Yeah. Because in the way that you're good at one thing, this is another sermon, in the way that you're good at one thing, you'll be able to relate to God at the same way. Amen. It's the same heart connection to I, I can bake uh, uh, um, blueberry muffins like that and not even think about it. And I would say, what if it's a, a big bunch of people? Well, that doesn't, doesn't bother me. It's just a matter of how many batches I make. But do you get all sweaty in your hands and you get all nervous because there's, no, I mean, I know how to do this. I've done it so many times, it's just normal. Well, the same way you have that connection is the same way you get your faith to work. It's always that way. But anyhow, he went outside, looked at the stars, and it said, and he believed, and God accredited unto him as righteousness. Well, Vine said... Abraham did not, listen to this closely, did not believe in the impersonal word of God. Vines called what God said to him impersonal. He believed in God. He didn't just believe in a word someone gave him. He believed in God, so therefore any word God gave him he was willing to bet his life on. So where's the emphasis? On the word? No. Where's the emphasis? On God. There's a shift coming. For all of us word of faithers, where it's just the word, man, you got to have the word, got to have the word, got to have the word, where you actually have to have God. Because if you have God, then whatever he does, whatever he says, whatever you see from him makes sense. Because if you just have words, but you don't know him, then they're impersonal. They become personal when you know him. Okay, is this making sense? The Lord wanted me to see that. That's why I wanted you to turn over here. Let's now look at how it starts. By faith, Abel, Abel offered to God. Okay, do you think that Abel was building up his faith in order to make an offering? Well, if, if you don't know how to answer that, I'm going to say, obviously, he wasn't. He had no concept of the word faith. 
He wasn't thinking of it. It wasn't in his mind. He was just doing what? He was honoring God with an offering. Go to the next one. By faith, Enoch was taken up. Do you think Enoch was thinking, I have to build up my faith in order to be taken up? Do you think he was doing that? Do you think that he was saying, I believe I receive, I believe I receive, I believe I receive? Do you think he was doing all that kind of work to build his faith? No, no he wasn't. He was spending time with God. Go to the next verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So, are you trying to have faith in order to please him? Or are you hanging out with him, which is what pleases him? Paul even said over in Galatians chapter 2, I don't try to please you, talking to those Galatians, and guess what? I'm not even trying to please God. Why? Because we are already pleasing to God. It's something that God did for you is to make you pleasing. If it's up to you to please him, then what work is so pleasing that you feel like it's better than the last work? And now you're right back into the law. Aren't you thankful that we can lift our hands up to God who loves us and is pleased with us just because we're his kids? Amen. Go to the next verse. By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events. Do you think Noah was thinking about faith when he was building the ark? No. He had an encounter with God, and God warned him about something he didn't even know. A flood. What's a flood? Have you ever heard, uh, who was it, um, Bill Cosby had a really funny skit about Noah. Build a flood. What's a flood? You know, do you think he knew? No, he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know about the future events, but he had an encounter with somebody that obviously rocked his world, and he wanted to do what? Respond to him. And it says, by faith, no. My point is, we can go one verse after another, after another, after another. My point is here. When Paul was writing this, if Paul was the writer, I believe he was. If Paul, when he was writing this, he penned it by saying their experiences with God and the actions they took and how they responded to him is an example of an individual's faith. But not one of them was thinking about faith when they were responding to God. They were thinking about Him. John said, the writer over there in the epistle, 1 John chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, 5, verse 14 and 15, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in His Word. No, it didn't say in His Word. It said, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, what? According to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the petitions. Where's your confidence? In what he said? No, it's in him. Because if you just have what he says, but you don't have him, it's impersonal. Amen. It becomes personal when he's real. The emphasis should be on Him. And everything we use from the Bible should cause you and Him to have a greater tangibility. Come on, the connection that we want. Ben, you hear it everywhere I go. I travel all over the United States. And you hear people say, all right, now we got our connect groups next week. We need you to connect with the church and be here. We need you to connect with the pastors and be here. And I'm going to just say, does anybody want to connect with God? You connect to everything else. In your verbiage, it's full of connection, which is time, tangibility, shared experiences. You want to have shared experiences with the church, shared experiences with your little group, shared experiences with your pastor. How about one with Jesus? 
Because if I can get you a shared experience with Jesus, then everything he says, you'll step out beyond your level of confidence and you'll have something you've never had before. Amen. You can't step beyond your level of confidence if it's not personal with you and God. Is everybody doing okay? Amen. So, let's go here. Let me see where I want to have you go. I'll take you over to Romans and chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18 through 20. And this is in the message translation. So, you have to listen real closely to the things I say when I talk like this because if for any reason you would think, well, you know, he's just against the Bible. Well, there's not one part of what I've said that says I'm against the Bible. I'm just helping to put things in proper perspective. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Okay, what I mean by that is very simple. When Adam and Eve had life breathed into them and their eyes were open for the very first time, what were they looking at? I'll give you two choices, the Bible or God. If you decide your answer is God, number one, it would be correct. But number two, then it does say something if God is the first person that they're looking at. It says that he is plan A. So why did the Bible come? Now, you could also, you, you know, we, we could get into some hypothesis here and think for a second. You know, if Adam and Eve have never sinned and no one had ever sinned, would there be any need for the Bible? On one hand, you could say there wouldn't be, but I believe God is an individual that likes to keep records. So I believe there still would be a book of wonderful experiences of those that were uh, before us that are used for what? As a means of, of stirring up curiosity in you and desire for you to have the same and more of your own. So, good. Thank you. so I believe there still would be a book. But my, my point is, when man lost his way and lost his spiritual connection, even though God was still there and... This is really interesting. I'm going this way, but I'll just throw this out. Man wasn't born again, but his mind was still so fresh to the reality of God being there and being able to connect with him that even though he wasn't spiritually alive, he could still hear God in complete sentences and he knew where he was. I mean, you'd, you'd satisfy the whole world of Christianity if they could hear God's voice and recognize or feel his presence. Well, Adam and Eve were sinners, and they had that. And then their sons that had to be at least in their teen years to handle the responsibility of taking care of the, the fields and taking care of the flocks. And one of them is considering murdering his brother... So you would think that that would like cancel out any ability to connect with the Almighty, and yet he's hearing God in complete sentences too. And they're not born again. 
which really unravels the idea that we struggle to hear God. Are you kidding? We have all the advantages. The difference is they had quiet. Things weren't busy yet. They weren't driving cars at 70 mi 75 miles an hour. They didn't have cell phones. And on and on and on and on we go, right? In other words, if you don't have connections to other things, your heart is open to connection to what? To God. If you want to have more of him, just have less of everything else. Yes, yes. So I don't know if I hear the voice of God. That's because you're hearing other voices. In other words, you're good. What voice are you good at hearing? Wow. And there may be a handful of them. And so then begin to take the value that you give hearing those voices. Take that value and give it to God and you'll begin to immediately hear God's voice. Oh, wow. The same thing's true about his presence. I don't sense the presence of God. Well, what presences do you sense? In other words, what are you connected to that's very real to you? That's right. Of the flesh and of the world. That's right. And then ask yourself the question, of those things that are that real to me in that area, how much of it is important to my relationship with God? And for the most part, you'll usually come to the answer of, well, pretty much not any of it. Okay, and then somebody may say, well, then are you telling me I can't be connected to my friends or I can't be connected to my family or my wife or my kids? And I'm not telling you that at all. I'm telling you, you have to assert what value do you give that? If you give that more value than you do God, obviously your tangibility is going to follow your heart. That's right. So take away the value you give that. Doesn't mean you don't function at work. You just don't make work your sole sum of what's important to you. Maybe God would like it actually. We're going to find this out. He'd actually like to be involved at what you do at work. See, if you're hearing the right thing already, what you're hearing is, I'm trying to help you to open up your mind to let God come out of the pages of your Bible and get into your life. Yes. Amen. Brother, I've, I've been studying so many scriptures, man, I could just, just rattle off a hundred at anybody at any time. Well, then you've got a hundred scriptures that you're going to share with somebody and it's all going to go over their head and around them because today people don't want to hear your scriptures. They don't even want to hear you talk about Jesus. But they'd love to hear how that broken shoulder is no longer broken and it was actually fixed within one week's time. They'd love to hear how you got that job when there were 5,000 applicants it's like my daughter, Allie, I wish she could have been here this morning, but she's an artist. And a couple years ago, she got a job with Disney as an as a intern, uh, as a 3D modeler. And, you know, to get that job, there were thousands. Yeah. One of my friends, that actually a friend in the ministry, his son, had an internship with Disney, then went on to be hired with Disney. And there were over 6,000 applicants for his internship. So wow. I know it had to be in that kind of a number. And she was chosen. Praise well, does, is it because her artwork was better than every single other person's? No, nope. I mean, when you're in that kind of field, there's a lot of them that are just as good. Yeah. It had to be the favor of God. Well, then COVID and all this garbage came along 
and they had to get rid of all their interns. And so there, there went her job. And they were actually just getting ready to hire her, had sent up papers, paperwork to hire her. And that right there is never heard of either. Usually interns, it takes about four or five years for them to actually get hired at Disney, if at all they are going to be hired. And they were ready to hire her before her internship was up. And so then she doesn't have that job and doing all these different other jobs for the next year. And almost to the point where she was discouraged, maybe I, you know, should just give up, you know, this and go do something else. And Disney calls and says, we want to hire you again, but this time it's a temp job. But again, think of the favor that's there. If she were to go back to SCAD, which is Savannah College of Art and Design, and uh, with all those thousands that go there that would like to be where she's at, and they found out that she has those jobs, they'd probably want to interview her as to how in the world did you get this? Well, then Disney took some turns and all of a sudden all, you know, it's happening with businesses all over the America right now where things are changing and these big corporations are realizing that we don't need this huge building and all the overhead because people are now remote. We can fit them into this. And so now Disney Florida tells Disney California, if you want your jobs, you're going to have to come down here and we'll give you this much time to make a decision and then next year at this time we're going to actually move you down here and here she's in the middle of a temp job where they had told her when they first hired her well probably because they're thinking they'll probably hire her again because they love her. So all of a sudden, you know, in a matter of another month, she's going to be out of a job. And one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden, a toy company in California, Santa Monica, gives her a call. They have a couple, and the next thing you know, she's getting hired there. One thing after, what, what is that? That's favor. That's what I call grace. See, grace isn't what just removed you from hell and gave you victory to be able to be connected to God. God's grace is like a nuclear fallout. It's like the snow that falls here in Colorado when it gets really big and fluffy and, and, and it's just falling like crazy and you know, you're going to have 10 inches within just an hour and a half or so. People can't get a hold of that elsewhere, but we know here how we can. It's dry and it's just big and fluffy. You can brush it off and in a matter of seconds you're brushing it off again. That's grace. I just want you to know that grace is everywhere. This is a dispensation of God being able to, what, influence and interact with his kids. Come on, the last generation, the last dispensation, God couldn't do that. Why? Because of the void between man and God, which is called sin. Well, Jesus came to remove your sin so you can now actually go into the throne of God, hang out there regularly, and have God hang out with you. And there's no damage at all done to you. In fact, God took it another step and made a brand new kind of human being, us, so that when you accept him as Savior, he literally gives you the divine nature of heaven and steps inside of you to live inside of your body. Amen. 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 So it's not no longer just God with you, it's God in you. Yes. That's right. Hallelujah. To do what? To influence you 
in every area of your life. They take all of your shortcomings and bring them up and to take some of the things that you need to be brought down, brought down, amen, to make a level playing field where you can experience him on a regular basis. So what is Christianity? Is it all the works that we do? Is it coming to church? Is it, is it being the cloth girl? And is it being the usher? And, and is it just studying 10 hours a day? And is it how many hours we pray every morning? Or is it the actual interaction with God on a regular basis? It's how much time you can spend with him. What's a marriage? It's interaction with your spouse. Otherwise, you're no longer married. Right. A marriage isn't a good marriage. If you're on one side of the house, your spouse is on the other side of the house, you don't sleep in the same bed, you never talk to one another. That's right. But we're married. Well, whoop-de-doo for you. And for most who don't know what we're talking about, who instantly upon their salvation were shaken hands with, signed their name to a registry, and were made to think that this is now salvation. I'm a part of a new family. Glory to God. And they said, yes, come to seven weeks of classes while we teach you what it means to be a Christian. And then they just get you entrenched into doctrine. And they suck the life right out of your experiences with God. The more entrenched in doctrine you are, most likely, the less likely you are to get a prayer answered. Boy, this is going real big, I can tell. Amen. You don't, you, don't, you don't like studying the Bible? Again, there we are again. See, it, it, it all comes down to, you talk like this, all comes down to, he must be against the Bible. He must be against learning things. He must be against learning, you know, who we are in Christ and learning about uh, the belief of, of healing is for all, every time, all the time. Do we, not, we must be filled with the Holy Ghost. He must be against all these things. No, not against them. They have to be put in proper order. Amen? I didn't marry a love letter. I married a person. So any letter or correspondence does what? It fuels the expectancy of how much more fun and exciting it's going to be to be with the person. Praise the Lord, buddy. Could We could leave just right now. Amen. Just call it a day. Amen. Now, I'll share this with you. This is going to be tough as well. When I find people that didn't have their start in some type of religious environment, they'll tell me, and it's always the same, always the same story. They'll tell me story after story after story after story of their experiences with Jesus from the moment they got saved. You come into my room at night, I write down things in journals. I mean, all during the day, I'd have these like epiphanies. God's just everywhere. Could you get an answer to a prayer? And this is what they'll say. Most of them will say, well, I didn't even try to. It just kind of happened. And, and you, you heard his voice. Oh, my goodness. It was just so real. Well, what happened? I'm talking about one after the other. The same story every time. What happened? Well, people found out I was a Christian because of all the things that were happening. And so they invited you to their to their place of worship. Yes. 
How long did it take by going there until all these experiences stopped? And it's always the same. Two weeks to two months. Between two weeks and two months, going to that place of worship caused all the experiences with God to stop. Why? Because the emphasis was on what? It was on doctrine and you having to be perfect and you having to be right and you fixing yourself instead of enjoying the person that fixes you. And so then the saddest thing would be, I would say, so how long ago was that? Well, that was about 15 years ago. Are you still going to that place of worship? Well, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know. I mean, and then I'd look at him and say, are you kidding me? You didn't figure that out? So that's why I was so impressed with what Pastor Amy preached a couple of weeks ago when she handed out the green, little neon green cards. So you're over in Romans in chapter 1 right now and in the Message Bible. And the reason we're going to read this is because I want you to begin to practice connecting with God. Now, years ago, there was a book by Father Lawrence, which was put out again. It was an old, 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 old book, but it was put out called Practicing the Presence of God. This is what we're talking about, but just using it in a very practical sense. There's ways to connect with him. Time, tangibility, shared experiences. And that's what you want to build up. You want to have an arsenal of experiences with God that are just normal and fun on a regular basis so that anything that comes to meet you that's negative doesn't knock you off your feet. You immediately think to yourself, well, this is preposterous that I would think that there could be a lump or a growth or some type of a pain or some type of a sickness or disease symptom coming on my body when I'm hanging out with Jesus. Are you kidding me? And you'll immediately put up a front to it and won't accept it. Most Christians accept the bad and then try to get out of it. Why accept it in the first place if it's very unnatural and not normal? Because your normal has become hanging out with Him. Where your relatability is to God being real, talking with you, sensing His presence, finding Him influencing your life on a regular basis every day until you actually play a fun game called how many times can I recognize the grace of God within a given day? I mean, I've been thinking about ordering one of those little clickers. And just keeping it on my belt so I can just click, 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 click. Not so that I walk around and say, I noticed him 500 times before noon. But so that I can become aware of having that to not take half of my day and be oblivious to the fact that God actually exists. So, this is one of the places that I wanted to take you, Romans chapter 1, 18 to 23. Oh, when I was sharing with you, Pastor Amy got in here and started talking with those cards all about you beginning to connect with God. Now, I, in my travels, I haven't really actually experienced but maybe a handful of preachers that get that. And to be honest, I told her how wonderful the message was, and I also slipped something in, which was you could really preach that same exact sermon every week for probably the next three to four months. Because that's the sermon. 
getting you to connect with him. Him becoming real and you looking for him being in your life. Amen. That's the sermon. Because listen, there's, there's a difference between having an impersonal word, because you know the Bible so well, but you don't know him. So the tough time comes and you'll start speaking scripture, but there's not that inner connection with him. Do you know how many people I've watched die quoting more scripture than I know myself? Because it's scripture. They know the scripture. It doesn't mean they have bad hearts. Of course, they love God with all their heart, but they're not having the actual connection, the experience with God. He's supposed to be tangible. He's supposed to be real. Come on, Brother Hagin used to say when I get in bed at night next to Aretha, the Holy Ghost is more real to me than she is. You say, what does he mean by that? Well, it all comes down to getting quiet. Be still and know that I'm God. No doesn't mean be still and have intellectual knowledge that there is a God. No, there is a God is not going not to cut it for you. It's when he's still, he's experiencing him. Why? Because in the stillness, that's when your spirit, it's easy to detect your spirit connecting with God. When you're busy in your day, your flesh and your mind are working really hard. When you lie down or you get quiet, that's when your mind and your flesh can just relax and you can experience God. So he's saying in that moment, it's not like if he just turned his attention to his wife, he wouldn't see her. It's not like she disappeared. If you reached his hand over, he would feel her. It's just in the quietness, while he's there with her, his spirit fellowshipping with God is more real than her. Now you begin to develop that and your spiritual connection can be more real in the midst of traffic, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a bad report, Amen. in the midst of the, you know, somebody coming to take your home, your job. That's what we want. God to be so real, he's real to us no matter where we are. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. I'm going to say it again. Christianity is not how many scriptures you can quote. That's right. Amen. Christianity is about spiritual success. Spiritual success has to do with answered prayers. Amen. It has to do with the kind of fruit you produce. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Folks, there's no test. Walking through the pearly gates, you don't have to have, you know, the top 100 scriptures, you know, uh, uh, memorized. And I'm not telling you not to memorize scripture. It's good to have an arsenal of scripture that's in your heart. But first things first. Adam and Eve were looking at God. So, real quickly, it says, for God in heaven... For, for God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both toward, excuse me, yeah, this is the 18th to the 23rd verse. Both toward ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For this is what I want to show you here. For the wickedness, where is, where is it here? Oh, that's the Passion Translation. Oh, I had it up earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got this. For God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing lie and accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. Do you remember the scenario here? This is talking about, about man being really messed up in his way of thinking and going down the road of men with men and women with women. 
and how they knew better, but they continued just to, to, to go down that trail. Remember? Now, the reason why I want to bring that up is not, not talk about homosexuality, and yet the Scripture is very, very clear on that. But I want to bring that up to show you that even uh, those that on purpose have their minds deceived, this truth right here that we're going to look at still applies to them. What is that? But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What's he saying? He's saying even people that have deceived themselves and on purpose shut God out of their lives, there is no excuse for them because all they got to do is open their eyes and look at the creation of what God has made and there's a connection between the creation and God and you seeing it so there is no excuse. I'm going to read that little passage over in the Passion Translation. It says, For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively. For God has embedded this knowledge inside of every human heart. Opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible, such as His eternal power and transcendence. He has made His wonderful attributes easily perceived, for seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then, this leaves everyone without excuse. Is that plain enough? What am I saying? The bottom level, tier number one in Christianity to connect with God is to find Him in the world He created. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'll say it again. Tier number one is to find Him what? In the world that He created. Again, we're going back to those green cards. We want to fill those up. What's one way to fill them up? Spend a little bit of time opening your eyes to the things that are right in front of you. Like, like it's possible someone this morning, you didn't know where your keys were. Yet if you go to a park and watch squirrels, they can bury nuts one month and still find them the next. Who gave them that ability? Grace. Some of you, if you didn't have your GPS, would not know the difference between, between north and south, east and west. And of course, we should have a little bit better understanding here in Colorado because if the mountains are on your right, then you're going south. If they're on your left, you're going north. Right? Right? And if you look off into a plain, that's east. If you look off into mountains, that's west. We have a little bit of a, an easier time with it. But my point is, how do geese know to go north and south and they don't end up in somewhere else? I guess God just put that inside of them. See, everything about nature and what God created, there's an essence of God so that instinctively you can find God by seeing what your eyes, praise the Lord, can behold by what He made. I'll give you another example. Has anybody ever been to Times Square in New York City? 
Yes. Have you ever been there at night? Yes. Has anybody ever seen the dropping of the ball, Times Square, on New Year's Eve? Yes. Okay. How bright are the lights of New York City? So bright that if you were to look up, you almost have to squint, right? And it's like the brightness of the lights makes a haze. So what if it was a perfectly beautiful, clear night and you were trying to see the stars? Wouldn't it be real difficult? Because you got to look through all the lights. Now, who created those lights, God or man? Man did. Okay, keep that in mind. If you were to go 30 miles west into the foothills and mountains there in western New York, or excuse me, eastern New York, and there were no lights, do you think you could find the stars? It would be a blanket, right? Okay, now put this together with me. The closer you're attached to the world that man makes, I'm going to say it again, the closer you're attached to the world that man has made, it's called society, the less chance you'll have of seeing the stars. Meaning, the less chance you'll have of experiencing God. If you fully buy into society and the world that man has made, I'm telling you right now, on the balanced scale of life, if society is way up there in the top, then God is way down here at the bottom. Where do you get that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Which means what? The more conscious you are of your body, the less conscious you are of the Lord. Take away the value of your body, become less conscious of it, and now your spiritual consciousness rises to the top. So the more you buy into society, the way that man does life, and think of it, the herd mentality is, well, everybody's doing it. So you just assume this is what life is. Everybody's having, you know, uh, everybody's afraid of, of the virus. So you just must be afraid too. If you want to find God, retreat back to the world that God made. And the moment you do, you'll find Him everywhere. Now, I just got to show you this. We've clicked ourselves away from God because we've not had Him becoming the one that's real to us. Spiritual living, living in the Spirit, is living conscious of the spiritual world. Walking in the Spirit is consciously choosing spiritual realities over the flesh realities. Praying in the Spirit is praying with an inner knowing that you're connected to God and you're not just connected to your mind. Well, think about that. If I'm supposed to pray in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and live in the Spirit, but I have no spiritual connection to God or even my own Spirit, then I'm probably up a creek without a paddle. Right? I mean, all this spiritual talk to somebody that doesn't even know they're a spirit. They can't take a moment to get quiet and find themselves. If you can't find yourself, how are you going to find Him? And in the day we live, there's nothing about this world that's going to help you to find the real you. It'll help you to find the chameleon. What do you mean by that? Well, the you that has to play the part that you play in order to actually be at work and the part that you play to be the husband or the wife and the part that you play, you know, to be the the father or the mother and the part that you play, you know, to, to, to go to school and the part that you... But the real you when it's just you... Can you find that you? Because that you is connected to the real him. 
is good, isn't it? You know why? Because this is Christianity. I could talk, with, talk to you about the recapitulation of the mercy seat where the blood was applied, but you'd say the recapitulation, what? And the interesting thing is when you get into a place where there's a lot of people, you know, and you start to, I tell you, his redemption, glory to God, has saved me through and through. It's his power, praise the Lord, that comes from righteousness. And people get up and they'll dance, but they don't know what in the world they're dancing about. It's the bigger names, the bigger names you use, the more they think it's, it, it, it's inspiring. But then I want to ask them, can you get a prayer answered? I don't know. When's the last time you talked with him and he talked back? When's the last time you felt his presence? Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 This is a relationship, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a relationship. So you're over in Matthew chapter 6. Let's take just a moment there. Matthew 6. And I'll have you, I'm in the Message Bible. I'll start in verse 19, 21. And it just goes like this. Don't hoard treasure down here where it eats, eat, uh, gets eaten by moths, corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven. What does that show you? That's a matter of value. Value. What value do you place on things of this world? Because if you give them more value, then the value of what you place on God goes down. So, well, I mean, I, I love the Lord with all my heart. All right, the next couple of verses here show you. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moss, rust, and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. So now on a given week, you ask yourself the question as far as time is concerned, where, where actually am I in my time? Well, I mean, I have about 10 minutes with God here and about 10 minutes with God there. I pray, have a 30-second prayer over food. And then I go, I go to a, a, a church on, or a building at 10 o'clock in the morning for two hours. So what do you do with the rest of the time? I mean, that's, that's only like uh, maybe a, just a few hours out of a week. What do you do with the other six days and 21 hours? Where's your time? Well, I got, I got a job. Okay, I got it. And I've got this and I've got that. I understand. But how much of that time are you aware of him? Do you allow him to be a part of your life? That's right. See, even as a little kid, I learned trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he should direct your paths. Well, now, you know, you get older, start thinking about that verse a little bit. And you realize that most, most of life, we trust God with our understanding and we don't ever lean on our heart. You know what I mean? And then the second part is, then you start realizing, what am I acknowledging? Because acknowledgement is invitation. So if I'm acknowledging the flesh and the world, then it's invitation for the flesh and the world to become more real and for me to have even greater experience. If I'm acknowledging God, then it's an invitation for God to actually show himself strong and be a part of everything that I do. Come on, you got to realize there's, there's a part of God that's very amazing, just like with Nathaniel. Remember Jesus is calling his, his disciples? Remember that? And he saw Nathaniel said, hey, there's an Israelite who was no God. And he says, well, how, how do you know me? And he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And, and Nathaniel knew no one was there. I saw you under the fig tree. 
What did Nathaniel do? Well, how did he respond? My Lord and my God. Remember that? How did Jesus respond? That's right, son. You better not forget it. No, 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 no. What did Jesus say? He le this is my interpretation. Remember, because Jesus said, he, he said, you'll see heaven open and angels ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. Remember that? That's what he said. But this is my interpretation. Is Jesus looked at him and said, Nathaniel, did you like that? And Nathaniel said, yeah, that's amazing, Lord. I know you're Lord. Would you like to see more? Of course I would. Hang out with me. You'll see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, what did he say? He said, he said Nathaniel, I didn't create hide and go seek. I'm not hiding. If I was, you'd never find me. Wow. He said, I created show and tell. He said, if you like that, tell somebody and I'll show you more. And if you like what I show you next, then tell somebody again and I'll show you more. What do you mean tell somebody? Testify to your experience and he gives you another one. Testify to your experience and he gives you another one. And he's never going to run out of giving you more and more and more and more until you get hooked on him instead of hooked on the world. Galatians 5 tells us that in the Passion Translation. We won't have to turn there, but you know the whole thing about the flesh fights against spirit, spirit against the flesh? It says, it says the intense cravings of the Holy Spirit will basically drown out your cravings for the flesh. And it'll become dominion. But the flesh will hinder the Holy Spirit from being the Holy Spirit. If there's anything we don't want to do is get in the way of hindering God from being God. He's real good at what he does. He doesn't need our help. But we got to get ourselves out of the way so he can be who he is. Because any situation that doesn't look like it should in Scripture is because we're in the way. We're in the way with the flesh. We're in the way with the world. We're in the way with the law. Paul went on three places. Every time he opened up an epistle, the first part of the epistle was nothing more than this is who you are. This is who you identify with. This is what Jesus made you. He brought you out into the light. You're a child of light. Woo, glory. I can heal the organ going and I can see the saints appraising. But then the last part of his messages was always, why have you gone back into the flesh? Why'd you go back into the world? Why have you gone back into the law? Those three things, Paul was warning you, that if you let those things rise, then the spiritual condition falls. God's into what? God is into more. You acknowledge one thing. Lord, it's so nice to actually see some of the mountains today because they've been hidden in flames. I want you to know how much I appreciate them. That's a connection. That's grace. What's he going to do? You really like that, son? I love it. I want to show you more. Okay. Amen. And what's the easiest connection to start with? Well, brother, I, I don't know much about this. You know, all these people preaching all these things and all this doctrine and, and you know, and all these scriptures and everything. Well, do you like walking in a park? My, I love that. Well, then find them everywhere. If you want to know what my first, my first thought would be to somebody that was brand new born again, 
I tell them to find a park. That's what I tell them. You wouldn't tell them to go to scripture? Nope. Why? Because first things are always first. And what are first things? God himself. But you have to have the Bible to find God. Oh, really? 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 Everybody having a Bible, having 30 translations of the Bible on your phone is a new thing, everybody. It's a new thing. Amen. I said it's a new thing. Paul would write one letter and they'd have to read it in front of the people and they couldn't take it home. Right. So you had to really listen well. That's right. Amen. Huh? So what were you really getting out of what was being said if you couldn't sit there and study it? That he's removed sin from you. He's made you able to walk with him, talk with him, and enjoy him. So let him be a part of everything you do. That's what you would receive. First things are always first. What would you do? Have him go to a park. I'd have him go to a park for six days in a row and tell me how many things that blessed him, that made him think about God, where he could find God's grace. Amen. And in that six days, I would ask him, how many times did you feel like God was speaking to you? And I'll guarantee you, it would probably be about 10, at least 10 times, if not more. Then I'd take him to the scriptures that show some of that. I take him to a scripture like Jesus walking with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us as he began to unfold the scriptures before us? Did your heart burn within you? Yes. I went out, I mean, within seconds of being in the park, it's just like every care disappeared and I started seeing things and the littlest things that I saw and said, Lord, that's got to be you. That's your influence. That's amazing. He began to speak to me. I said, that's exactly what they were saying about Jesus. See, it's burning in your heart too. And I'd help him to relate everything about Scripture to his connection to God in the park. How come? Because then God would become real to him. Remember, we went back to, at the very beginning, in Hebrews, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Noah, by faith David, by faith, and right on down the line, he's writing stories about their faith because they interacted with God. I'll just read this quickly and then I'll let you guys go. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money. Just simply telling you that the world is in opposition. The flesh, the world, and the law are in opposition to your experience with God. Amen. If you decide for God living a life of God worship, and we actually must have decided that because we're here. We're at a place of worship. Then listen to what it tells you. It follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying everything about the flesh and the world is very trivial. Yeah, amen. In other words, people, their lives are filled with drama. And the more you allow the flesh and the world to mean something to you, the more potential drama you have invited into your life. And the more drama you have, the more it will pull on your attention to experience God. The more real God becomes, the less real these things are even, even important. 
There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more than your outer appearance, than the clothes you hang on your body. And then notice what he says. Look at the birds. Free and unfettered. Not tied down to a job description. Careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. What did he just tell you to do? The same thing that we're talking about. See, Pastor Amy brought this whole thing out about you connecting with God and just beginning to become aware of God doing things in your life. Do you know the, the greatest majority of the things that God will do in your life are always the small things? The things that you've probably even said among yourself, man, I had a really lucky day today. Wow, you can't believe the coincidence that I had. It wasn't a coincidence at all. It wasn't luck at all. It's just the Holy Spirit endeavoring to work with you in everything you do. Come on, think for just a moment. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your paths. How do you acknowledge somebody in all your ways unless they're with you at all times? So number one, is he with us at all times? I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Wow, glory, amen. That's number one. But number two, to acknowledge him in all your ways means he actually wants to help you with what you do. That's right, amen. Yeah. Amen. So that means the littlest of things. Come on, second, or Solomon. Song of Solomon 2.15 says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So then wouldn't it be the little tiny repairs that fix the vine? Yes. In other words, the little thing of acknowledgement. The next little thing of acknowledgement. It does what? It builds the cohesion of this relationship that was always supposed to be real. Do you believe the law of Genesis? Everything begets after its own kind? All right, all right, all right. Then let me throw this one out for you. You can chew on it. If someone leads you to the Lord that has no personal, tangible touch to God, he will create within you an individual who now loves God, believes themselves to be saved by God, but you also have no personal touch with God. If we lived in an environment of people where everybody that was talking to you about Jesus is telling you stories about what he's done for you, not drowning you in scripture, then reproduced after your own kind, you get saved with an unbelievable expectation to meet God personally right then and there. Are you just picking on church? No, I'm preaching the gospel. You go over to John 14, and it says, even in the Message Bible, it says, when you come alive, you will know absolutely that I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in the Father. And then he goes one more verse to talk about how I didn't leave you orphans. I'm going to come back to you. And then he goes on to say, and he says, and I will manifest myself to you. What is that? I will manifest myself to you. The Amplified said, I will make myself real to you and I will let myself be seen by you. See, Jesus believed the moment you came alive in your heart, your spiritual person came alive to God and you now know him or experience him in the same way your flesh experiences one another. That was how it was supposed to be. The moment we got saved, we're walking with God now. So we're having to reteach something that should have been actually rudimentary. Right. Praise the Lord. 
Look at the birds, free and unfettered. And he goes on to say, has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror even gotten taller by so much of an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wild. Now we're looking at the flowers. So your sermon today is about flowers and about birds. That's exactly right. The smallest of little things that we miss constantly that allow us to have a connection with God that begins to grow and grow and grow and grow until God's just messing your life up for good. Every time you invite him by acknowledging the smallest of things that he has done for you, the appreciation of God is, what else can I do for you? Every time you invite him, it gives him more room in your home. Come on, think about it. The first time you invite somebody over to your home, everything is staged. Well, what do you mean? You don't say, hey, use the bathroom in, in the master bedroom. Go through my refrigerator. No, no, it's all staged. Hey, come on over to the couch. I think you'll like this couch right here. Usually you don't even say, choose any room in this living room. You even say that couch is very, very comfortable. I think you'll like it. And I'll sit right here. Hey, would you like some iced tea or lemonade? Well, you've got all kinds of soft drinks. you got all kinds of other stuff, but you offered them iced tea and lemonade. Everything's limited. You don't know this person. You don't open up all the way. But then you start liking them, and you invite them again. Then you invite them again. The fifth or sixth time, you say, hey, whatever's in the, you know, the icebox. That's the old term of refrigerator. Just say, whatever you want. Right. And they go in there and say, man, you've got a whole huge assortment. Well, you had it before. But now what? Now you're developing a relationship. You give them more leeway. The next thing you know, you're saying, man, I'm going on vacation. Would it be possible at all? If you've got this time available, could you, could you house sit? You know, our little dog, would, it would be great if you could just house sit and take care of him. You know, the more you invite him, the more he'll do. And here's the cool thing. You're inviting somebody that is the master of every trade into your home. And while you go on vacation, he fixes all the plumbing. He fixes all the heat and air. He fixes the roof. He fixes, you know, your car. It's, it's perfectly, it's upgraded on every level. He fixes everything about your life. And you didn't even have to ask him to. It's just because you got, you became very relational and, and you gave him more and more of the room of your life until he has your whole life. Amen. Amen. And the more you give, the more he can be who he is. So what we don't see is because we are in the way. Hey, yeah. mm -hmm. Get out of the way. That's right. That's right. Uh, listen to this last part and then we'll be done. We'll be done with six minutes. So 1130, you can go to lunch. It says here, they never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside those flowers. If God gives attention to the appearance of flowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to get you to do here, listen to what it says here, I'm trying to get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. There it is right there. He's trying to pull your head out of the world of society where you can't see anything in New York City and he's trying to get you to retreat to the countryside where you can be free from the anxiety and the turmoil of all the drama of life because in that environment you can hear God. Yes. Feel God. Yes. Know God. Amen. And be so confident with God that you don't even have to pray to get your body healed, to get your life turned around. God just does it because he's got a blank slate to work with. Amen. He goes on to say here, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know God. 
and how he works. So listen to what he said. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about what's missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time comes. So I'm preaching this and this lady raises her hand in the back of the room. She says, I had a problem with this. And I said, okay, what's your problem? She said, well, I'm, I'm too busy for this. I said, well, what do you do? She said, well, I knit. I said, okay, tell me a little more. She said, well, I'm really good at what I do. And my friends told me, why don't you put some of your, you know, your items up on, on the internet? You might be able to sell them. And she said, I became instantly inundated with requests. She said, I, I have no time. She said, I literally, from the moment I get up, my whole day is complete. I have my knitting needles are in my car so that when I'm stopped at a red light, I'm, I'm doing as much as I can within 30 seconds of the red light because I've got to get my orders filled. I said, have you ever thought about having someone? Yes, my mom came to help me, but I had to undo her stitching half the time and redo it so it became even more of a bother, so I just do it myself. So how in the world am I going to include him in everything I'm doing? Have you ever asked Jesus to knit with you? And she said, excuse me? I said, I'll say it again. Have you ever asked Jesus to get his knitting needles and knit with you? She said, well, I don't really know what you mean. I said, invite him to be a part of your hectic day. Where if he's there, you might just say some things to him throughout the day. That's right. That might just allow him to help you knit better, be in a better attitude when you're done, and actually get more done. And she looks at me and she goes, I can do that. I said, what I'm sharing with you is anybody can do it. It's not that hard. It's a, it's a shifting of letting God become a part of your world and not just being in the book, but getting in your life. Last thing I'll tell you is a story of one my a cowboy friend I had and his first big prayer. He was saved for two weeks. And he met a woman that came into a feed store that was crying because she slammed the door in her cat's head and the cat didn't look too good. And she, he said, ma'am, can I help you? I mean, he wasn't the owner of the store. He was just there buying some feed himself. But she was, you know, just hysterical. So she said, yes, please come, please come. And he said, all right, let's go find your cat. Well, she had it locked in the trunk, so if it didn't die from getting cracked over the head, it suffocated. So, you know, it's going to be dead anyhow, one way or the other. Duh. So she opened the trunk, and here it is laying there, the tongue hanging out of its mouth. And, you know, his, his southern, you know, uh, rancher technology thought process said, that thing's deader than a can of corned beef. And she said to his comment, well, I'm a Christian. And his comment was so. And he said, how come he was so rude? Because he actually was very smart. He had four earned PhDs. He read, uh, read 5,000 words per minute with 97% retention. He read the Bible as a nine-year-old in four hours. So he was a, a genius. So when you're that smart, everything has to add up. Math actually works. So in other words, dead cat Christian, how does that work? 
And if you're thinking, well, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. Well, there's the first problem. And so, what do you mean? Well, that's the evidence of religion. That's the evidence of you're too caught up in this world. You don't expect anything to happen. Come on, folks, we're in relationship with God. Not just another human being that's got, like, you know, a little advantage over us. Huh? Amen. Not somebody that's got a PhD that's just done a bunch of studies, so we give them our whole life and let them knock us out so we can't even be there to actually argue with whether or not they're doing a good job, hoping that they'll wake us back up. And then we look at God like, you know, he's just chopped liver. You know what I'm saying? And we give him just a little piece of our heart. So see, to have a dead cat and say you're a Christian, that doesn't add up to a cowboy that that's smart. Remember, he doesn't have any, he didn't have any religion in him. So he's got a blank slate. So he hadn't been told that those things just don't happen. Like sometimes God answers your prayer. Most of the time it's maybe, but, but, but usually it's no. He, he don't have that background. So he said, so what? She said, well, I prayed. Now it really doesn't add up. You're a Christian. You actually entreated God and petitioned him to raise up your cat, but it's still dead. So does that mean God's dead too? Come on, we sing that song. God's not dead. He's still alive, right? Well, if he is, then contacting him should show the evidence that God's alive. He said, well, would you pray? And she got all misty-eyed. She said, I pray that God have mercy on my cat. He said, listen, lady, it's the ugliest cat I've ever seen. He said, I'm not going to pray for your cat. He said, I'll pray for you. And this is what he prayed. Still to this day, the best prayer I've ever heard. God, please, please, open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little. And then you can be God. Notice what he recognized. She didn't see it. She couldn't believe it. And therefore, God's over there like this. And it's really, think about his long-suffering and kindness that we're actually making it look like he didn't want to heal the cat. We were just in the way. When he prayed that prayer, she cried out, out of her heart, God, I do believe. Yeah, the cat sat up. She said, this is a miracle. He said, no, man, that's not a miracle. About three weeks, and he figured out what was a miracle and what wasn't a miracle. See, to him, the reason why it wasn't a miracle is God does that stuff all the time. That's normal for him. So when you're connected to him, that's normal, not a miracle, not something to be go, wow, this is incredible. No, that's just normal. She said, no, it's a miracle. He said, no, it's not. She said, if it's not, then what is? He said, you've been a Christian all these years and you finally just now believe God. That's the miracle. Three days later, she called him back, took the, took the cat to the veterinarian. The vet did a cat scan on the cat. I need some drums right now, but praise the Lord. <laughs> Y'all are too serious here. He scanned the cat and he said, it's absolutely a miracle. He said, Whatever, however you crush the head, something put it back together. And then he scanned the rest of the cat. Big old saucer tears started dropping off his cheeks. And she said, Doc, what's wrong? He said, I spayed your cat a few years ago. All the female organs are back in. Oh. 
your cat can have kittens. <laughs> BJ said over the phone, he said, ma'am, we don't need any more ugly cats in Tulsa. I'll give you the money to get it spayed again. <laughs> now, my point is, very simply, look at what happened when we got her out of the way. Yeah. How God has freedom to be God. Everything we've shared with you today about letting the Bible bring you to the relationship, letting the things you see bring you to a closer, a closer tangibility, yeah, yeah. is to get you out of the way. Amen. The people that did the things they did in the Bible put themselves in positions where they all should have died and lost everything. Why did they do it? Because they were connected to Him. Him. Not just the Word, but Him. And the Word that he gave became personal when they knew him. Amen. If we want to walk in that kind of audacious faith, we got to know God. Amen. This is real Christianity. Lift your hands for just a second. Father, I thank you and praise you, you. for your goodness and your mercy for following us all the days of our life, for this blessed hope of the gospel, for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Lord, there's healing power in these people right now. I know that as much as I know my name. I rebuke every sickness, disease, germ, bacteria, virus has no place in these bodies whatsoever. And you don't even have to have hands laid on you. God's touch is on you. Pains are leaving. Health is restored. Strength returns. You can do what you couldn't do. You'll feel amazing. Amen. Not even in the morning. Just within minutes. Amen. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name, we thank you for it all. Amen and amen. Did anybody get help this morning? Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, you, you, uh, these kind of sermons right here, what I preached this morning and what Pastor Amy preached a few weeks ago, hear this over and over and over and over and over again until you've developed a brand new perspective on how you get up in the morning and how you go to bed at night. Yes. And when God's grace starts to flood your soul with one testimony after another, I don't care what comes to the United States of America ever again, you will be in a place of such fortified because you know him, you will not be moved. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I tell you, will not be moved. I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. We cannot be moved a second time if something happens in our world again. The world needs those who are Christians that know their God. We are, we are the ones that will actually bring hope back to this world. But we can't do it if we're running in the same direction the rest of the world is. There was a movie, Patriot, and I remember in that end of that movie, you know, I don't usually see an R movie, but this was a historical one, so I wanted to see, you know, because of the, the background of, the, of the, the Civil War, not the Civil War, but the, the, the war there with uh, Revolutionary War. And, and the one part there I, I loved of the Patriot, which is Mel Gibson, is that everyone was retreating. 
over the hill because, you know, the British were coming in such numbers. And he grabbed the flag and said, come on, come on, and started running toward the hill and just was shouting at them. And all of a sudden, everybody that was running then just started to turn and they ran with him and they ended up winning that day. But somebody had to carry the flag and run in the direction that looked like it was the enemy, but with the power of Jesus Christ to know that our victory is in hand. This is who we are. This is the time and the reason why we're here. Come on, the Apostle Paul could be here, but we're here. Amen. To do what? To know him in that degree that they that know their God will be strong and do exploits. That's who we are. So let that be your testimony and testify like crazy this whole week and next week to your pastors. Bless you guys.